Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Retronauts Micro. And uh, this week, I'm, or this month, or whatever, I'm uh, kind of going back to the well. Last time, uh, I published a, a long dormant episode of a uh, Game Boy-themed podcast that ties in with my Game Boy World video project. And that sat in my uh, on my hard drive for like, uh, I want to say about 10 months before I finally said, oh, I should just put that out as a Retronauts. And I wasn't sure what people would think of it, especially since it was much longer than the usual Retronauts micro length file. Uh, and the response to that was overwhelmingly positive. And uh, in fact, we've had a lot of people say you should do more of those. And uh, that includes Bob, who said, hey, you should do more of those. So I'm doing more of those. And with me here again this week is... Brian O'Hala. <laughs> Oh, it's Ohala. Oh, I feel bad because I was saying Ochala. Everybody does. <laughs> it doesn't matter. So it's it's like the bread. Yes. Okay. Now I understand. <laughs> so Brian, just a quick intro for yourself. Who are you? Why are you talking about Game Boy with me? Uh, well, I have run a blog of my own for I don't even know how long at this point, seven, eight years, maybe longer. Um, it's called The Gay Gamer. I write about a lot of random basically just anything gaming related that interests me and a lot of what interests me are old Japanese games and systems uh the Game Boy being one of them so I guess we both have a shared interest in the Game Boy <laughs> right one of the yeah few. and as I as I mentioned last time uh the, the the previous episode I didn't really get to play a lot of Game Boy games back when it was a viable system so my my kind of relationship is more one of discovery, whereas yours is more someone who was there on the ground at the time, right? Yep. Yep. I watched the launch and had one at launch, everything like that. So, yeah, basically the idea here is, you know, Game Boy World is a chronological survey of Game Boy games uh, based on the game's original release date in any territory. So if a game came out first in Japan, we go by the Japanese release date. If it came out first in the U.S. or somehow if it came out first in Europe, which almost never happened, then we go by those dates instead. Uh, and it's all a little bit loose because there aren't very specific date records for U.S. and European releases. In fact, most European releases are uh, just the year. Like, it came out in 1991. No one knows when exactly mm -hmm. in 91. So um, for the most part, we're going with Japanese releases. But anyway, uh, you know, I do the videos kind of on my own, play the games, come to some conclusions, do some research, and post the videos and the, the accompanying text piece. Uh, this is an opportunity to kind of go back and look at some games and get some different perspectives on things. And, uh, you know, the videos that I do wouldn't work necessarily that well as audio files. So this is more of a conversation and works better as a podcast. And this is not the only kind of Retronauts micro podcast I will be doing going forward. So if you hate Game Boy, don't think, oh, God, I just have to listen to Game Boy once every four weeks. That's not going to be the case. But I will be doing it on a fairly regular basis because it's something that I sink a lot of time into and have a lot to say about. And, you know, aside from my video series and, you know, blogs like Brian's, Game Boy is not really that well-known or well-explored a corner of video game history. So I, I hope to rectify that. So anyway, last episode, we talked about the Japanese launch of Game Boy, uh, which had four games accompanying it, Alleyway, Super Mario Land, Baseball, and Yakuman. 
Uh, this week we're going to look at the next two or three games. I, I, we're going to kind of see how it goes in terms of time. But the next two games to follow came about, uh, let's see, Game Boy's launch was April 21st, 1989. Uh, the first game came about a month later at the end of May. And the next game after that came at the uh, middle of June. So kind of still launch window, but no one used the word launch window back then because marketing hadn't devoured our souls at that point. We were still innocent and pure. But, you know, that's kind of the idea. Um, these launch window games, the first of which was Tennis and the second of which was Tetris, which is probably an episode unto itself, which is why we may not get further than Tetris. <laughs> if we do make it past, then the third game will be Shanghai by Hal. But maybe we'll do that next time. So, Brian, um, first we should talk about tennis. What what do you know about this game? What do you think about it? Hmm. Well, um... For me, it was one of the games. I know we're not talking. We're talking about the Japanese launch, but I picked it up alongside my Game Boy when it launched in North America. Um, well, we're we're not necessarily talking about the Japanese launch. We're just talking about um, the games in that sequence. But that okay. doesn't mean we have to just talk about Japan's launch right now. That's okay. that's totally fine. Okay. Well, then in North America, the U.S., um, it was launched alongside the system, and like I said, I picked it up. Um, Although I feel like I'm kind of a strange case because I've always been a fan of the sport. So, of course, it appealed to me. I'm not sure if it had, you know, the same broad appeal to uh, the, the mainstream audience. But um, I picked it up because, you know, it certainly looked better than NES tennis. Um, it seemed, you know, it had better graphics. Um, it allowed two-player play using the link cable for the Game Boy. Um so off the bat, it appealed to me. Um, I've always kind of liked it, even though it's pretty limited in what it offers. I mean, you can play uh, a computer opponent at four different levels of difficulty, or you can play a human opponent using the link cable, and that's pretty much it. Um, it doesn't have, you know, a tournament mode or a bunch of bells and whistles. You only have a couple strokes, you know, a forehand and a backhand and a serve and an overhead. Um, but, I mean, I, I would guess... For me, given when it was released, it was an acceptable enough product. I mean, it certainly stacked up well compared to uh, Game Boy Baseball or some of the other titles. So, um, I don't know. I, I think it's a quality enough tennis game for the time period. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, uh, having gone back and played NES Tennis quite a bit uh, since having started my Game Boy project, I, I appreciate how nice a job they did with Game Boy Tennis. Yes. And actually, Famicom NES Tennis was um, was actually not that bad. Um, it you know, For the time especially, it was uh, pretty darn good. Um, the biggest limitation, I guess, was that it was a single-player game unless you played doubles. But there was no one versus one, player versus player. You either played cooperative doubles or you played against the computer, and that was down to the the perspective on the court. They, you know, Nintendo went with that sort of behind the player view. So the forecourt was large and the backcourt was very small, and it would have been unfair to you know the second player in the backcourt 
to have to uh, to run around with that that diminished space. There's some, kind of some weird perspective trickery happening there. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's it's not that good. Uh, not that not that not really that playable. But of course, Game Boy gets rid of that uh, that limitation by putting the four court for each player on their own respective screens. So each player has a different perspective on the court than the other. So you see the game from behind your player and your opponent sees the game from behind their players. Since the system had two separate screens, that was entirely possible. And uh, it's a great example of, you know, them them kind of taking this old idea, you know, a five-year-old tennis game and just making that one small change enabled by the difference in technology and coming out with a winner, I think. So what do you what do you think of like the physics and stuff in the game? I don't really play sports games, so I don't have that much of a basis for a comparison with tennis, but I feel like you know the 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 NES game was kind of um pretty remarkable for its time in that it used uh like perspective uh on on the tennis ball, like based on where the ball is relative to the viewer, it changes size and it has a shadow underneath it, which was something that other tennis games hadn't really done to that point. So mm-hmm. it made the game more playable. But, uh, you know, that's 1984 standards. I can't really speak to uh, how realistically or how effectively the ball controls and handles uh, because I don't really have genre experience. Yeah. Um, I mean, it definitely continued, you know, it had a, I think it had a better perspective Game Boy Tennis in terms of it was a little bit more of an over, um, like a bird's eye view, not totally, but higher up. So it wasn't so skewed of a perspective. Um, it still has the kind of depth with the ball. Um, to me, I just feel like Game Boy Tennis feels better than NES Tennis. Like one problem I've always had with NES Tennis is it feels very uh, rigid and sometimes it's hard to understand where exactly you have to be positioning the player to hit the ball even now when I play it I I swing and miss a lot Um, but with Game Boy Tennis I feel like it's pretty easy to sense where you should be it feels very smooth um, you know to swing the racket and hit the ball Um, I think the only actual problem I have with the game well other than the limited like uh, options would just be it seems like everything works except for the players are always a little bit slower than you think they should be. Um, so the the computer opponent often beats you just because you can't actually get across the court to get to a ball. Um, and it can be frustrating. But other than that, it actually feels really good to me. Um, and it's fun to play. Do you think that's a product of the perspective? Um, because again, you know, there's the, the, the difference in perspective. The, the back court is a little smaller than the forecourt. Um, do you think the computer benefits from that? They didn't like stop to take that into consideration. Like, mm. oh, he has less pixel space to cover, but he still moves at the same speed as the player. I hadn't really noticed this, but I'm wondering if huh. it's a, if it's an issue. Like, that's where it comes from. I honestly don't know. I've never really. I've only ever assumed that it was just a way to kind of increase the difficulty, uh, perhaps artificially, just to, you know, there's only four technically there's only four opponents you play in the game because there's four levels of difficulty um Mm -hmm. each one of them gets harder i've just always assumed it was like they didn't want it to be too easy so they slowed things down a little bit but that's totally my uh opinion i have no idea honestly it could be what you said 
Um, like definitely moving forward into the court is slow as well, perhaps even slower than moving left and right. Um, I don't know. It's an interesting idea. Hmm. Okay. Well, I just thought I'd put that out there. I don't really know. Um, I don't know if there's, there are any credits available for this game online. Uh, like a lot of old Nintendo games, it's just kind of like some people made this. Uh, (laughs) let me, let me check back through my notes. Um, Let's see. No, there are no credits. It's we know that it was made by Nintendo R and D one, and Intelligent Systems website does not list it uh, mm-hmm. as one of their projects. They they did work on a lot of games for Game Boy, and uh, including baseball, and all of those are credited on IS's website. So this must have been done either internally at Nintendo or by some sort of mystery ghost studio that. Uh, they're not speaking about so yeah do you have anything else to say about tennis i mean it's it's pretty much what it says on the label it's tennis yeah i mean it's one of those games especially from early on in the game boys lifetime that i'm not sure you would say ages particularly well i mean it ages better than nes tennis but i don't know how many people are clamoring to pull out the cartridge and play it over and over again nowadays right. when there are so many better options but you know i i still think it's one of those things that for the time it was definitely appealing i think at least to a certain audience and it, you know it was a well-made product kind of i i think you've said this before it just it's it even perhaps looks better than the other launch era games in terms of its design it's not as simplistic and um the sprites are larger so i think even just for that it's kind of noteworthy yeah, the uh, the top down perspective that you mentioned, uh, it, it it definitely makes a difference in how it plays and how it looks and how it holds up. So the next game on the Game Boy docket is the big one. It's Tetris. Uh, In Japan, that came out about two months after the Game Boy launch. But in America, of course, it was a pack-in. Japan doesn't really believe in pack-ins, but America does because Americans are cheapskates and we want free stuff with our game consoles. So Nintendo realized that and said, here's the best game we could possibly put inside the box. And it sold millions. So obviously, having bought a Game Boy pretty early on, you had Tetris right away, right? Yes. Were you a total Tetris addict, or was it one that you were like, eh, I don't get this? Oh, no. I mean, I I guess there were probably people who weren't... I don't know if I would say I was an addict, but I definitely played it quite a bit. It's kind of hard not to once you start playing it, right? I mean... Yeah, I had someone comment on one of my uh, videos, like, I, am I the only person who doesn't like Tetris? And huh. all I could say was like, yes. <laughs> I, I mean, it's it's one of those games that it's so simple and you look at screens of it and you're like, uh, what? Who cares? Uh, I remember Nintendo Power really pushing the game when the NES version came out. And uh I read reports on it and saw screenshots and there are 
you know, their breathless excitement in the articles. And it's just <laughs> all I could think was, uh, I'm not seeing it. What What is the appeal of this game? But then you play it and, oh, yes, it's so good. Yes. And it's like one of those games that you say, I'll play for five minutes. I'm going to walk away from it. And then you say, uh, just one more try. I want to do better than I did the last time. And then, you know, a half hour, hour, hour and a half later, you're finally turning it off. <laughs> right. So, But on the plus side, I mean, if you do just have five minutes to play a game, Tetris is a really good one because you can just pick it up, play it. And, you know, unless you're just really on a roll, um, it's not too painful to just switch the system off. You know, it's kind of a time killer. It's um, yep. it's what we have, you know, mobile apps for these days. Yep. More or less. <laughs> and it, it, you know, it definitely makes use of the hardware and the limitations of the system. Um, I think just the way the game is set up and the graphics, um, having everything be in four colors doesn't hold it back in fact you know it seems to still work out just fine if you ask me yeah this is um this is actually the first game boy game of mini that we see um that is based on a much more primitive pc game from from years before and this actually becomes kind of a, a prevailing theme in game boy software but but to this point you know the first first four or five games for the system were all kind of based on nes games um you know, you had pretty much the direct conversion of baseball or tennis, which, you know, kind of took some liberties or Super Mario Land, which is a different game than Super Mario Brothers, but still very much in that style. Um, and even Yakuman um, is is pretty much drawn from a previous Nintendo handheld and from, you know, Mahjong and uh, four person Mahjong that they published for uh, Famicom in the very early days. But Tetris is not based on a console game. It is based on a computer game from 1984-85 that basically was one step, like the computer itself didn't have graphical displays, so it was pretty much one step removed from teletype. It was uh, it was pretty, pretty, pretty primitive and simplistic, and I think that works really well for Game Boy because, you know, the, the fundamental gameplay had to be simple and therefore communicate clearly in monochrome which isn't always the case for Game Boy puzzlers and just Game Boy games in general. But Tetris, you know, it's um, you have seven different shapes, uh, different, different arrangements of four blocks each. And just their silhouettes are strong enough that you immediately see it and spot it and know kind of how to react out of the corner of your eye. Um, the, the, the console versions have color and that helps a little bit, but you, you really don't need it. Any, uh, any anecdotes or thoughts? Um, I don't know. Other than obviously this is yet another Game Boy title, early Game Boy title that used the link cable. Although I, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit that I've never played the game using the link cable, which I don't know how, you know, how shocking that is for anyone. But um, I know it was a selling point for a lot of people, um, but I've never played it that way. Hmm. Actually, I don't know if I've played Game Boy Tetris with the link cable either. Uh, I've definitely played head-to-head -head Tetris, but maybe not on Game Boy. But, you know, that was... Um, I feel like, unlike baseball, you didn't need another player to be able to enjoy Tetris. Yeah. It's, a, it's a good, fun solo game, as opposed to baseball, which is, like, horrible if you play it alone versus a CPU, <laughs> but, but okay if you play it against another person. Yeah. Because you're both sort of, like, uh, hobbled by the same limitations. Yeah. 
and it also it just seems like kind of that typical um you know game where you would spot someone sitting in a hall a school hallway or something like that huddled in a corner with their game boy <laughs> playing it alone i mean it doesn't necessarily seem like something that needs social interaction or or assistance or anything like that yeah it's the kind of game that you hear people say oh yeah my my 80 year old grandmother still <laughs> plays that every day like yeah. she's played it every single day for the past 25 years that this is the kind of game that that provokes that sort of um sustained interest i think yep like if you get it and you're hooked on it, then yeah, there you go. on Game Boy was a huge coup for Nintendo. There's a really complex and convoluted history for this game. I don't know how much we want to go into detail on that, but um, yeah, I don't know. Like, how much have you read about the te- the history of Tetris? Because it's kind of a doozy. Yeah, I mean, I certainly remember it from back in the day and in, in the years since. I, d- I wouldn't say I am uh, any kind of historian on it, though, other than um, you know, some of the drama involving licensing and Nintendo securing the rights to it early on. But that's about all I remember, honestly. Yeah, so um, kind of the, the big deal about this game was that it was from Russia with fun. Uh, it was a video game created behind the Iron Curtain in Soviet Russia, uh, which didn't really happen that often because um, there just weren't a lot of opportunities for Soviets to uh, create video games. Um, which isn't to say that, you know, Soviets didn't enjoy video games. Uh, there's a Famicom NES clone called the Dendi that's basically synonymous with video games in Russia. Like uh, maybe not so much now, but but back in like the 90s and uh, when you talked about video games, you were referring to Dendi, the the Famicom clone. Um, but this was created by a, a um, mathematician named Alexei Pazitnov, and uh, eventually the game started to kind of make its way beyond just his uh his what it was like elorg technica computer or whatever it was called um and oh no that wasn't i can't remember what his computer was called but anyway um yeah so eventually you know people started kind of competing for the rights to it and atari thought they had them and it turned out they only had them i think to the arcade uh machine and maybe pcs but not for game consoles and uh, Nintendo kind of figured this out, and, and, and in large part thanks to a man named Hank Rogers, who had um, kind of built a reputation for himself in Japan by being the creator of uh, the first breakout RPG in Japan, the Black Onyx, which was based on wizardry. Uh, even though he was a Dutch guy and didn't really initially speak all that much Japanese, he created like an RPG that became a huge hit in Japan and became kind of Japan's first homegrown RPG anyway. So that's kind of his his background, and he just sort of became like this business facilitator uh, moving around, helping different companies, and uh, he helped Nintendo lock down the rights to Tetris for consoles, uh, which Atari had, had uh, sold to its uh, Tengen division or offshoot. And so Tengen started producing 
uh, Tetris for NES and Nintendo came in and said, <laughs> no, sorry, uh, you can't do that, which must have been, you know, very satisfying to them because Tengen was making unlicensed NES games and Nintendo couldn't really do anything about it, but they could do something about Tetris because they did have the rights to it and Tengen did not, even though Tengen thought they did. So Tengen had to recall its unlicensed Tetris games. Nintendo brought out their own console game and then immediately started working with uh, developer Bulletproof Software to uh, to port it to Game Boy. And this is a on Game Boy, it's a, a collaborative effort between Bulletproof and Nintendo R and D One. So it has like you know hip Tanaka music and so forth. Um, but it's it's kind of a collaborative effort, and for a lot of people, it's the definitive Tetris. I would agree. Especially, it, it's interesting to me how. Um, even though the NES Tetris produced by Nintendo is a quality product, people don't really talk about it or write about it at all, especially compared to how much, uh, you know, Game Boy Tetris is revered at this point, I think. Yeah, um, I think, you know, NES Tetris had the disadvantage of being preceded by Tengen's Tetris, which was kind of ugly, but despite its ugliness... It had a multiplayer mode, which the NES game did not. Um, So basically all the NES game had going for it was some pretty good music and some really bright kind of candy-like graphics, jolly candy-like graphics. And uh, Game Boy did not have those, but it did have the multiplayer, and its music was also very good. So um, plus it was portable, and it's just a perfect fit for the platform. So yeah, this is... Oh, go ahead. Nope, I was just going to say I agree in that it's... It's amazing how much being portable benefits a game like this. It's like you said, it's a game that a lot of people want to just put a few minutes into, and it's easier to do that when you have the Game Boy already in your pocket, in your bag, as opposed to like having to go downstairs, turn on your NES computer or your monitor, etc. Right. Yeah, it's it's very very much a pick up and play kind of experience, and and really works for the system. I think it's interesting that when Nintendo finally launched a Game Boy successor nine years later in 1998 with the Game Boy Color, the big launch title that they had for that system was also Tetris. But again, people don't seem to like that version as much as Game Boy Tetris. What are your thoughts on Tetris DX? I don't know. I've just always found it kind of garish for some reason. It just never appealed to me, even though you would think at the time, especially people would have enjoyed a colorized version of this, you know, kind of antiquated game. But like I said, it just almost seemed garish and too much compared to the simplicity of the original that I think it's maybe it's because the game was not associated with amazing graphics. I mean, they were completely workable. Um, They benefited the gameplay, but you, you don't play Game Boy Tetris for its brilliant visuals. Um, so maybe it just didn't need to be updated in that way. I don't know. Um, yeah, you you mentioned it's garish, and uh, that's uh, a <laughs> that's that's kind of I can't disagree. Like, there's something about the Game Boy Color. I don't know if it's the palette or just the way developers used it. Yeah. But there are very pr- very few attractive Game Boy Color games. There's a few like Metal Gear Solid looked good, but for the most part. The the games either looked like badly colorized black and white games, or just they were straight up hideous. And I <laughs> I don't know why, but it was always like 
really gross shades of yellow, like mustard yellow and uh, <laughs> horrible fuchsias and, and like uh, these dull, grotesque greens. And I know that the Game Boy Color screen is not that great, but when you look at these games on like 3DS Virtual Console or on emulators, they still look butt ugly. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, so I don't know what it was about Game Boy Color, but um, yeah, it definitely kind of took Tetris down with it. it it's... You know, even though it came out nine years later, I think uh, it it really didn't offer anything better than the original Tetris. So yeah, Tetris is no longer available to buy on uh, like the the Virtual Console for 3DS um, because of licensing by the Tetris company. I think Ubisoft owns the rights to Tetris now, so Nintendo can't publish its own Tetris games anymore. Um, it was available, I think, for a while on Virtual Console. So if you have it, you have it, but it's been delisted. Um, but the good thing about Tetris is that because it sold millions of copies and came packed in with most, you know, uh, with, with Game Boy hardware in, in several regions, it's not an expensive game. It's very easy and very cheap. And, uh, it's definitely one of those that's worth picking up. I agree. Potentially one of the best pickups you can get for the system. Every once in a while you see a system and a pack-in game that's just perfect. Nintendo usually has had a pretty good pretty good streak with that like super mario brothers tetris um what else wii sports like sometimes you know they just nail it and this is one of those cases where they just nailed it like i really think the game boy would have been a success without tetris but shipping it with tetris i'm sure nintendo you know could have made a lot more money off of the system by selling the two things separately like they did in japan but I think ultimately they made more money because people checked out demos of, of Tetris and said, I need to own this and ended up buying systems. And then, you know, the install base was huge and people bought more software. Yeah. So it, it's a great example of, you know, how kind of you know, taking a little bit of a loss at the beginning, you know, may, may not be such a bad idea in the long term. Yeah. And also, like you said earlier, you suggested um, certainly of the games released in it, the first number of years for the Game Boy, it helped expand the audience to people beyond just children, right? To, right. Uh, grandmas, parents, <laughs> just straight up adults. Um, if it hadn't been released, I would. It would be interesting to see if what other game would have ever done that. I mean, as popular as Pokemon is and became, I kind of doubt. You know, we don't usually talk about grandmas today playing old school game boy systems in pokemon so right. um, clearly tetris had that going for it too yeah i mean there was dr mario yeah maybe a few other games but this was kind of the one to to push the system beyond the core nintendo audience of the time and you know one of nintendo's first commercials for game boy featured sort of like a businessman uh sort of struggling through his workaday world everything's all clockwork and he's you know uh not having fun stepping in line to the airplane and so forth. But then he takes out a Game Boy and plays Tetris and everything's wonderful. <laughs> so so Nintendo knew right away, like, this is not just a game for kids. Like, this is a device that's going to be popular with older people. And that was, you know, kind of where the uh, Nintendo's original entry, entry into handheld gaming came from. Game & Watch was, you know, inspired by uh, a bored salaryman on the train tinkering with a, a digital watch. They made Gunpei Yokoi say, huh, you know, maybe I could I could do something with that. And uh, Game Boy was kind of the ultimate evolution of that that concept. 
And I think Game Boy uh, was, you know, proof of concept right there. All right, so that's, um, we, we've been going half an hour. I feel like that's more than enough for a Game Boy Micro episode. So we'll save Shanghai and uh, whatever comes after that for next time. Uh, kind of the beginning of Game Boy's third-party extravaganza. Although, did we really consider HAL Laboratory a third-party? I've always Well, I guess at the time they were considered third-party. I, I just am so used to thinking of them as second-party or even, you know, internal that... Um, but I think at the time they were fairly second, second, third party. <laughs> yeah, they actually developed the game for Activision. But I guess we can talk about that next time. So until next time, um, tell us where we can find you on the internet, Brian. Uh, my blog is called The Gay Gamer, uh, thegaygamer.com. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, wherever you can possibly find a person these days, I think. And I've, I'm, of course, you know, here with Retronauts, retronauts.com and usgamer.net. And um, you can find me on Twitter as Gamesbyte. You can find Retronauts on Twitter as Retronauts. How about that? And, of course, all sorts of social media with the name Retronauts on it. We're there. It's awesome. Um, the show is supported by Patreon. So if you like to hear people talking about Game Boy games or want to hear people talking about something other than Game Boy games please feel free to uh, help support the show. Uh, We'll be back next week with a full-length podcast episode, not about Game Boy, and uh, that'll be Bob. So look forward to it. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. Thank you.